This morning we're finishing up our series here on pain and tragedy and our journey through the events surrounding David and Goliath. And if you were here, if you were not here last Sunday, we kind of we said, "What if?" We 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 asked a question. Uh, we asked the question, "Well, what if I'm still resisting God? What if I'm still saying to myself, you know what, God, I don't want what you have for me. I don't want the things that you want to speak to me because I'm scared, because I struggle, because I'm afraid of the enemy." And so, what we did last week was we looked at those three things. We looked at those concepts and we asked ourselves the question, "What do we do in those situations?" Um, some of us we live in fear that God's just going to mess up the plan that we have for our life because we all have wonderful plans for our lives and how we're going to get there. And so sometimes we're thinking to ourselves, man, God's going to mess up the wonderful plan I have for my life. Other times we just don't care what God has to say. You know, our thought, our opinion is, hey, God, you know what? I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do me. You do you. Don't bother me. And then the third thing we saw is that there's an enemy out there that's waiting that's, that's looking for someone to devour. And what we saw was, is that if we follow God and we go where God wants us to go, we listen to what he says, then we don't have to worry about the enemy because he can roar and he can growl and he can destroy all he wants, but because of God's hand and protection on our life, we will not be devoured. And so from there this morning, God is calling us to go all in with him. So how many of you ever heard that phrase before, the phrase all in? Anyone? Any, any, any gamblers out there in the room this morning? Yeah, you know, that's why if you've ever watched like the World Series of Poker or something like that on ESPN, you know, that's, that's a phrase that they use. Like, let's say you're playing blackjack and you get dealt the, uh, the ace and jack of spades. What are you going to do when you've got those cards in your hand? There's nothing that can beat that. And so people, when they get that hand, they get that card hand, and they're gambling, and they say, I'm going all in, and they take every single chip they can possibly find and slide it into the middle of the table. And some of us are saying, well, I'm not a gambler. Well, we understand that from our regular lives too, right? There's some of us that we go all in on the car that we really want, and so we suck it up, and we'll make that $600 a month car payment because we're going all in on that car that we want. Some of us go all in for sports, especially when it comes to our kids, right? You know, if our kids um, are... are I'm interested in baseball, I'm interested in football, I'm interested in soccer. I'm inter- Suddenly, we're all in with that and we buy them videos. We get them in every sports league we can think of. We get them all the equipment that they need so that they can go out there and so we're all in with our kids. And our life begins to revolve around their sports, assuming that they're going to be the next LeBron James, Tom Brady, Messi, uh, name your other famous athlete out there, and we go all in. Those of you that are gamers, you go all in on gaming, right? If a new system is coming out, where are you the night before said new system comes out? You are sleeping outside of a Best Buy, right? Even if you don't got a job to pay for that system, somehow you scrounge up the 500 bucks you need to get that gaming system. And so I think we understand that phrase, all in. And I've gone all in on things, and I'm going to tell you a story. I told it in a different message a while ago, and so some of you may have heard it. But uh, when I was in high school, um, I've mentioned before that my grandparents had this, uh, this uh, 
trailer on a lake in northern Wisconsin, and we'd go up there every summer. We'd spend lots of time up there on their, uh, on their property in Wisconsin. And, and, uh, and, and one day, uh, my brother and I decided we were going to go for a hike. Across the road from my, where my, parent, my grandparents' place was at were, were these skiing trails, and they went for miles. Well, there was this short half-mile loop that was there, and, and, and I, I spent more time up there than everybody else, so I thought I knew that trail. And, and so uh, after dinner one night, I said to my brother, hey, let's go out and hike on this trail. Well, what I did not know was that there was things called logging trails that intersected the hiking trail. And what a logging trail is, it's uh, the wood companies, the paper manufacturers, they they go into the forest, they, they lease land from, from the state or the federal government, and they'll just go in and they'll clear acres and acres of trees for, for wood and for paper and stuff like that, and then they let it grow back, and then they come in and clear it 20 years later. It's kind of a process. Well, anyways, they'll, they'll, they'll cut these paths through the forest trying to find the best spots to get wood and to get paper, uh, trees for paper. And so um, you got to be careful, because when you get on one of those, you can wander for miles, well, there was one that happened to intersect this trail, and I did not know it was there. So my brother and I, we get off hiking in the woods, and suddenly there's this clear spot and this really dense, weedy spot. And I thought, that dense, weedy spot can't be the right spot, so we're going to go this way. Well, it happened to be a logging trail. And so my brother and I got out there wandering for many, many miles. A hike that was supposed to take about 45 minutes took six hours, and instead of walking three-quarters of a mile, we walked 14 miles. And during this process, the whole time my brother is saying, we got to turn back. We got to go back to where we came from. But I was all in with moving forward. I was the older person, and so I got to make the decisions. And I said, no, you know what? We are moving forward, moving forward, because I did not want to get eaten by a wolf or by a bear. And so we continued to move forward until we got back home six hours and 14 miles later. But here's the deal. God wants all of us all in with him and his plans for us. See, once we've overcome the fear, once we've decided we're going to stop disobeying God, once we've decided that the enemy is a toothless lion that will roar and make a lot of noise but cannot devour us, once we've gotten past the past, once we've decided that living a prisoner to the things in our past is over and we're going to go forward, our next step is that we need to go all in. We need to take our commitment to God to the next level. We need to take our commitment to God to the same level that we commit to making a car payment. We need to take our commitment with God to the same level that we would take if our kids told us they were interested in a certain sport. We need to take our commitment level to God to the same level that we would take chasing after that video game system in our life. We need to go all in with God. Now here's the deal. When you go all in with God, there's going to be some frustrations, okay? There's going to be things that are going to make you want to quit, say it's not worth it, and want to walk away. And so this morning, to wrap up this series, I want to talk about those things so that when you're tempted to give in and quit, you won't. And the first one is this. There is no shortcuts to where God wants to take you. See, we live in a world of shortcuts, don't we? We're always wanting to take the shortest route possible to anything. One time, uh, one of our, at one of the houses we lived in, um, it was in Ocala, and uh, we were, we were, somebody was going to meet us at our house. We we're going from someplace, and uh, he said, I'll meet you over at your house. And I said, okay. And so we both took off from the same location, and uh, he decided that he was going to try and take a shortcut to get to my house. 
So he turned down this other street. Now, I knew the route he was going. I knew the roads he was going to take. And I also know that they weren't faster because they had more stop signs on them and the speed limit was slower. I had tried them before to see if they would make it faster. But it never got me anywhere faster. And so he took off on this shortcut. And when I got to my house, there he was sitting in front of my house. And so I said to him, how did you get there faster? Because I know that way is not shorter. Here's what he said to me. I, I completely blew two stop signs and drove 60 miles an hour down a residential street where the speed limit was 30. Okay, can I first of all say that that's not a shortcut? Okay, that's like just putting people's lives in danger when you're blowing stop signs and driving 60 in a 30. But he was like, no, it's shorter. See, I got here first. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. You know, and, and, but that's how we are in life, aren't we? We look at life, we look at the situations we face in life, and we say, how fast can I get there? How can I shortcut the process? How can I make things so that I can get to where I want to get right now? I mean, that's basically our whole economy is now based on that. You know, we don't have to save money to purchase anything anymore. Now, instead of saving money, we can just get loans for everything. And so we live in a society where everybody is maxed out. They're maxed out on their house. They're maxed out on their cars. They're maxed out on their credit cards. They're maxed out on their their store cards. Everybody's maxed out because we can't wait. We want what we want now. I want that bedroom set from Ashley Furniture now, and they'll finance it for me, so I am going to go for it. And we do that in our walk with God. We expect because we tell God that we're all in, that our spiritual journey will now be quick and easy. But with the work God does in and through us, there is no shortcut. See, David didn't get a shortcut. To look at this, we're going to head to 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36 to begin with this morning. Uh, 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, and it's the ninth book in, right after the book of Ruth. If you do not have a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screen behind me. This is what it says. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. All right, so how does that relate to what we just talked about and you cannot shortcut the process? Well, here's the deal. David spent years, years out in the wilderness taking care of sheep and battling lions and bears. Why did he have to spend years out in the wilderness battling, watching sheep and battling lions and bears? Because that's what it was going to take to get him ready for what God was going to do with him in fighting Goliath. See, we have this expectation that when God says go, that he's just going to push us off, send us out there, tell us to go for it, and tell us to do it with minimal preparation and training because he's God, and so we really don't need anything else. We just get out there, and he'll give us whatever it is that we need as soon as we step out there. That's not the way God works. See, with David, God could have said, hey, David, you know what? Let's make this short and easy. You don't need to battle this lion. You don't need to battle this bear. Let's fight a raccoon. That'll get you ready for Goliath. And so, you know, he sends a little rabid raccoon into the room. David takes a baseball bat, goes whack, and that's over with. 
I mean, you're not ready to fight Goliath then. It doesn't take much skill. It doesn't take much, much cunning. It doesn't take much, much intelligence to fight a raccoon, okay? It's little, and you just, you got a broom, you smack him with the broom. You got a bat, you smack him with the bat. You hit him, what's ever there? Bears and lions, not quite the same thing. Many of you have probably heard of stories of hunters who have had their guns literally taken from them by bear, and the bear shot them with the gun, okay? Bears know how to fight. And so David was fighting the lions, was fighting the bears as a form of, or to get him ready for the fight and the battle, and there was nothing that God could do. There was nothing that was going to take place that could shortcut that process in David. The same is true with us. We can't drive 60 miles an hour, blowing stop signs, and think we're going to arrive where God wants us to quicker. There are no shortcuts, but what God wants to do in and through us, we have to be patient. We have to be able to sit down and wait and let God complete the preparation work in us before we move on. There are no shortcuts when it comes to the things that God calls us to, and a shortcut could really cost us our life. So don't get mad. Don't get frustrated because the process is taking too long. Don't go out there looking for a shortcut where God is taking you because there isn't one. And if you find one, I guarantee you that it probably not work out too well for you in the end. And so trust the process. What's that, the slogan of the 76ers? Yeah, trust the process. God's got a process that he is taking each one of us through, and we have to be patient and trust it and believe it and let God do what he's going to do. Then the second frustration that we need to know about, and I think this one is really hard for people, is that God's favor is not fair. You see, we live in a world that loves everything fair, right? Everything has to be fair. Those of you that have kids know that discussion because it happens on a regular basis when you have more than one kid. That's not fair. Why did they get that and I got this? And so people, what they say is, well, you know, I really like it when everything is fair. And so God, since I like it that way, God must be fair with people. Well, can I tell you, God is not fair. We're going to jump back to uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read verses uh, 6 through 13. And uh, this is what it says there. It says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, no, has the Lord chosen this one? Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel. But Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So what does all this have to do with fairness? David had eight brothers. David had eight brothers that had more experience in life, that had more intelligence than David did, that uh, had more challenging tasks than David did. But God, instead of choosing one of David's more educated, more well-experienced brothers, went all the way down the family line to the last one in the family and chose him as the king. And God had him anointed king, and that's not fair. There's going to be times when we're going to look at what God is doing in others, and then we're going to look at what God's doing in us, and we're going to say, you know what, God? That's not fair. We're going, to, we're going to see someone who's not working as hard as we are, that's not putting in the spiritual time that we are, that's not even, it seems like they're not even doing the things that God wants them to do, and yet it seems like in every way, in every place, every spot they turn to, God is blessing them and giving them the things that we look at, and we say, man, I really want that. But we can't let our focus get on those things. I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you're looking at things and you're seeing God do things and you're looking at your own life and thinking to yourself, that's not fair. That was kind of our family's experience back in 2011. We were at a church in Ocala, Marion Oaks Assembly. We had, we had, we were, everything was going incredible at this church. We had almost 200 kids in our youth ministry. I, we had an after-school program. I had 15 part-time employees working for me. I mean, it was this huge organization and the church called me one day and said, we're out of money. We can't pay you anymore. We have to let you go. I'm thinking to myself, what? I know people out there that are in ministry, that are in youth ministry, that are just kind of chilling. They're not really doing anything. They're not trying to reach anybody. They're just there collecting a paycheck, and that's the extent of their ministry, and I'm the one who has to move on? God, this isn't fair to me. This isn't fair to my family. God, you should go pick on one of those punks rather than messing with me because it's really not fair. I mean, I was frustrated. I mean, my thought was, okay, well, all right, so I'm, I'm going from this place that I really didn't intend on leaving. I didn't really intend on going anywhere. But the thought is, well, you know, if you've got so much great experience with stuff like that, then God must be giving you something bigger and better, right? And so I'm thinking, all right, so God, you're going to put me in a bigger and better place. I'm finally going to get a paycheck that can actually support my family and ministry was the thought that was on my head. You know, I'm going to be going someplace awesome. And instead, we ended up at a small church in Connecticut. And believe me, I was ticked. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want any of what we were going through because it just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. But you know what? It was in that time in Connecticut that God was preparing us for the next step in our life and then the next step in our life. And if I had said no to going to Connecticut, I might not be in the place that I'm at today, where I'm at today, because I would have been looking for something else other than what God had for me. I would have been looking for what's fair rather than what God had for me. And we've got to remember, God doesn't do what's fair. He does what's best 
for us. So don't be looking for God to be fair. Look for him to look out for what is best for you. And then finally, some of you may be saying to yourself that you want to go all in with God, but you're waiting for some supernatural, mystical voice to boom out or a peace to come over you as a confirmation from God that what you are doing is from him. Because for many people, we're afraid to move. We're afraid to go all in with God unless we have that voice or that peace. But here's the deal. Until we commit to being all in, God's not going to give us that peace or that voice. 1 Samuel uh, 17, verses 40 through 44, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistines. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh for the birds and the wild animals. So think about what David must have felt. He's standing there before this giant, guy that was almost twice his height, and this giant is screaming at him. This giant is taunting him. This giant is saying, come over here so I can give you the beating that you deserve. And if anyone was looking on it from the outside, the assumption would be that David was going to get the beating that he deserved by standing up to that giant. So picture yourself standing there. What would you feel? You'd be scared, right? You'd be shaking. You'd be thinking, this is the last day you're going to be on this planet. There was no booming voice for David in that time. There was probably no peace from God in that time. It was him standing out on the battlefield looking at the eyes of a giant who wanted to kill him. And I'm sure all that was flowing through his body was fear that this was going to be his last day alive. But he still stepped out there and fought the battle. And when we go all in for God, we need to do the exact same thing. We need to tell God that we are all in. We need to go all in. And when we do, when we step out, when we step out and say, God, I believe that you're calling me to this, and even though I don't have a booming voice that's spoken in my ears, even though I don't have this overwhelming peace that causes all fear to disappear, God, I am going to step out. I am going to step forward and say, God, let's do this. And then when you make that step, when you move forward and you say, God, I'm all in with you, that's when he's going to come and he's going to bring the peace. That's when he's going to come with that voice and speak to you and say, we got this.